Welcome to Old Town New World. We're here in Old Town Rock Hill, South Carolina at Millstone Pizza. I'm Jason Broadwater. I'm Chris Gervais. And we're here to talk about the ever-changing world of Small Town USA. Welcome to the show today. We have with us, as always, Silent Micah. Say hello, Silent Micah. Well said, well said. All right, we have with us, of course, Chris Gervais. Chris? Hello. Good to see you, buddy. How are things? Things are nice. Things are tolerable at best. I'm just kidding. We also have with us our two guests. First of all, we have Pauline Harris. How are you doing? Great, great. And we have Tim Elliott. Hello. Okay, great. So, Tim, um, is involved with some pretty cool stuff here in Rock Hill, and that's why Tim's on the show. Uh, Pauline has come into town to join Tim, and she's been invited to sit in. And, and uh, so Tim is involved in the Knowledge Park development down here. This happening, it's happening inside Knowledge Park. There's the old Bleachery property. It's 23 acres. Uh, it, it was abated by the city of Rock Hill like five years ago or something for five million dollars. It was a disaster. It had burned like three times. It was. You know, it was just a, a, a hole in the city where 20% of the population used to work. It's in between the university and the downtown. Now here we're having this wonderful rebirth of the downtown, an amazing growing university with this gap in the middle. It's just like a hole. And the city said, hey, we're going to buy this, we're going to make it clean, and then we're going to hopefully at some point somebody will come and help us make something awesome. Well, that leads us to Tim. He dropped out of the sky. He's here to make it something awesome. That's different. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's really why Tim is here today so but before we get into all this stuff I want to kind of back up with you Tim so we're gonna do this in kind of random order bounce around so first let's just start with how in the world did you ever hear Rock Hill South Carolina and what brought you here to begin with well it's a great question um, I first landed in the shores of Rock Hill back in November of 2012 and I got here from a gentleman named Bob Chellis and Bob was with a company, and still is, with a company called Campus Continuum. Oh, I remember that. I was part of their, um, we talked about this, I was part of their kind of like study they did. Right, so the university then was considering senior housing. Yes. And Bob and I have known each other for quite some time through, and in my old business, I, I was one of the owners of a large architectural firm, and our expertise nationwide and worldwide was senior housing. So the senior housing community that I was once design firm issued in was knew me that I've moved into the development world about a decade ago and they called me and said, hey, we've got this possible retirement project in this town called Rock Hill and a university wants to sponsor it named Winthrop that I'm doing this study for. If you're a developer, would you like to come down and build it? And I said, well, gee, you know, I don't really do senior housing anymore. I do very large mixed use projects in tandem in university communities so okay well now hold on when you say senior housing you you weren't going to level this entire town and put a golf course in here and uh, have health care providers in in people's rooms what, what do you mean senior housing beside a university we're talking about well senior housing um and universities both their missions were on on, on a happy collision course uh baby boomers were just in the back in the late 90s the universe of senior housing was thinking about the future and a really large hardcore population of baby boomers and the statement was by 2020 you're going to have a third of all u.s population 65 plus wow. 
Wow. I don't think most of the world, most of this nation still doesn't understand that. No. And so, and the 5-year-old people that. I know don't sit on porches in rocket chairs. Well, yeah, there's been an incredible generational transition. I mean, three generations ago, um, grandparents just accepted their aging and 65 went to the old folks' home in a rocket chair. That was the norm. And then there was uh, something called the silent generation, which is my parents who went through the Korean conflict during that time frame. And their whole shtick was, I like senior housing to be bigger. I don't want these cramped little out of the way. And, and the baby boomers saying, you know what, not for me. I'm not going gently into the night yeah, into retiring. Right, yeah. I will remain in community. Yeah. So the, and we, as baby boomers, to which I'm kind of on the back end of that, um, born in, I guess it's from 46 to 64. Uh, so that when I say that, 1946 right, yeah. to 1964, <laughs> not the age. I got to remember that now. Yeah, different century, uh, right. So the point being is that, uh, you know, baby members like lifelong learning. Yeah. Um, it's it's and they're they're living longer as we know as a population, and they're looking for second acts as we call it, second careers. So Winthrop and Tony DiGiorgio. Uh, who was the previous president of Winthrop. That's right. Tony and the university hired Campus Continuum to do this study to see if there was a market here in Rock Hill that the university really wanted to sponsor one. Uh, and so Bob called me and said, hey, would you like to develop this? Uh, and I said, well, you know, uh, I love senior housing, always have. I said, but I'm doing a little bit more. I'm work At the time, was working on a project, 15 buildings, $330 million up in a place called Rowan University. I left the architectural yeah, world. New in, Jersey, right? That's right. It's called Glassboro, New Jersey. It's a suburb of Philly. So uh, at that point, I had left architecture. I was one of seven owners of a 140-person architecture firm, commercial architecture firm, and I got in development in uh, 2005. And so from 2006, we were starting the plan of that project at Rowan. And so I showed that to Bob and Bob said, hey, wait a minute, you know, this is this mixed use is what I think this university and this city is looking to do with this project called the bleachery. And I said, what in the world yeah. is a bleachery? Yeah. So um, I remember getting on Google Earth while we were on the phone call and he pinpointed to me where the bleachery was. And at the time, Google Earth still had the photograph from the aerial of the bleachery in place and what looked like the Blitzkrieg from London oh, yeah, yeah, and it was yeah. burned out and yes. I said this will take me five years to clean up uh, and abate and carry that finance carry and I'm uh, no thank you right. and I literally said I, I appreciate it Bob but I'm out yes. he called me back again uh, I want you to meet Steve Turner by phone and Steve Turner and I mentioned and had a great conversation but again that picture was there and I was working on four other campuses around the United States doing some work and and, I, and like development work, I should say. And then um, he said, please come to town. Let's just talk about it. I have some family here in South Carolina. So I said, tell you what, I'll come down and stop Sea Rock Hill. And Steve Turner and President DiGiorgio met with me and said they, they were looking for a larger mixed use at the bleachery and surprised to find out that it was already cleaned up. They started the um, environmental cleanup process. Yeah. And so I said, wait a minute, this, yeah. this is a different picture. So. Uh, so that's when I fell in love with it, and I think this town, from a scale sense, is gorgeous. I think it has all the right elements of, of growth as a suburb of one of the nation's great capital cities of Charlotte. Yeah. And so I began to study. I have a researcher, demographer I work with. We looked at some numbers and said, wow, this looks really good for us. So yeah. we came back and put our hat in the ring and uh, took 
took the folks and council and they came up to see the Rowan project, kicked some tires, had uh, a day-long symposium with Rowan University and the town of Glassboro. Yeah. Uh, and then an RFP was issued and nine competitors came in and we were fortunate to win it. Yeah, man, that's wonderful. So we're talking about mixed use. When you say mixed use development, what, what does that mean? What, do you, what are we mixing? So mixed-use development is really kind of an, an urban term. Uh, we're looking for projects like in Old Town, urban America, where you will have retail on the first floor and office or residential above. So we're mixing uses, zoning uses, within the same building. So, so this is a walkable urban type of experience. Exactly. This is a park your car once and walk everywhere for the rest of the day. Yeah. I mean, is that, to me, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, I mean, there's such a change in the American sensibility around that. I mean, you know. There's a huge change. Um, and the one demographic I always point to about it is that if we look to the future four decades and when millennials are coming out strong, as we all hear, if you look at that generation with their driver's license, when I was 16 in Maryland and you could get a, a driver's license, 99% of baby boomers on their birthday got a driver's license. If you look at the statistics now, it's like 72% of millennials do it. They're not they're not born and bred and the, and the car's not wrapped around them like a belt. So it's a much different attitude. Um, they love to walk, they love to have that, uh, what I call urban expression, this happenstance encounters along the walk. And that's the name of my company is Sidewalk Development. And the reason we do it is because uh, I like to rebuild the art of the stroll. Yeah. And so that's what mixed use does. It, 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 it helps that along. I, I heard one, a guy say one time on like a TED talk or something, I don't remember what it was, but he said, if you create mediocre places, you will have a mediocre country, and a mediocre world, and a mediocre life. <laughs> My uh, philosophy is like that, is that when I do development, it isn't about bricks and mortars and containers of of, of, of extracting capital, although that surely is a part of it, but I firmly believe that the spaces in between are as equally important, if not more. Well, artists will say negative space is like, you know, 60% of the project. I mean, physicists exactly right. will say dark matter is 80% of the universe, exactly right. exactly you know? Right. That's, that's, that's what makes great projects, yeah. thinking about that space in between yeah. and how do you create excitement, function, but it only works, quite frankly, there's two, there's two ways to think about it. There are purposeful and non-purposeful spaces. So the purposeful are we program it. We have farmer market spaces, we have bandstands, we have other events, but you also need to get off the stage, yeah, as I right. say from time to time. That side between buildings, uh, yeah. it, it works so well. In, in small town USA, there are so many great pockets and I'd love to do a book about small pockets. Uh, that, that is just a great, great asset of small town USA. There's no denying that the physical space around you informs your attitude and your just what you're prone to do. I mean, there's definitely a relationship between just sort of the way you feel about what you're going to do today based on your environment. I mean, it completely informs it, you know, like just your your outlook and what, what I mean, because I know just like the way that we all, <clears throat> we all love to travel, we all love to see new things. And, and it's not necessarily because the place we're from is just stupid. It's just because it's the way the brain is. The brain wants interesting new things to see, you know, and the more space can be interesting to look at and, and lend itself to that or whatever. It's, it's in some form or fashion. And, and scale. 
Exactly. Yeah. It's just gonna. Your brain wants that. It needs that to, to feel good and function and, and have the wheel spinning. Well, it's purposeful set design, as I say. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Let me jump in here and introduce Pauline again and say, Pauline, what brings you to Rock Hill? Well, we're having a, um, a an event on April the 25th, and I'm working with Tim as far as the PR aspect of that. Of this, of this, of project. this project. Okay. Correct. Yeah. And and what? Tell us a little bit about your firm. What do you guys do? I own a company called Spin, and Spin is an acronym for the services that we provide. It stands for Strategy, PR, Image, and New Business Development. We focus all within the built environment. So we work with real estate developers, architects, contractors, interior designers. We do that because I started as a receptionist for an architectural firm out of high school. And they were the second largest firm in the state of Maryland. And then I left there after nine years and then uh, started my own firm in 94. We celebrate 22 years, April. Yeah. <laughs> and Tim and I have known each other forever. We were, uh, when he was with the architectural firm, we Back worked together. Really cool. Yeah. <laughs> so you must have a passion. You, you, you called it the built space. I think that's the built environment. I think that's great. You must have a passion for space as well. Because oh, like, like you said, it, it really affects your moods. The way that light comes into a building, the way that light hits a building, I mean, it just, you know, that, that affects you all the time, so. You know, I have this parallel, or analogy, or whatever you call it, I don't know. Um, when we work with designers, the designers that have started by just making uh, posters for their bands and, like, flyers for their bands, and then they turn into kind of trying to design websites and stuff, and they end up getting pretty good, they're always pretty good. The designers that go through some type of formal, whether it's uh, at school or on their own, but a formal study of the minutia of detail, like um, kerning and space and empty space, those designers become exceptional. And I, I think about same thing in everything I've experienced. Musicians that only are in the little scene that they grew up as teenagers in are okay. The ones that broaden their mind to think about music in a more historical way, they can become exceptional. When I look at buildings, like the building we're in right now, the the fact that all of these tables are made from the wood that was ripped out of this building when it got gutted, and the fact that all these walls are the original walls that went up and they're exposed, taps me into something that's broader and bigger than, than the current usage of this space. And it makes the usage become exceptional, I think, because there's this like history embedded in it. You know? Well, it's more genuine. Yeah. More rooted in history, and yet we're pointing to the future at the same time. Right, and I, that's one thing that I think a lot of like science fiction writers get kind of wrong when they design the future. It always looks like, and it's always been like this, it's, it's, it's some piece of whatever current design looks like mixed with sort of it looks like you're inside a computer. Yeah. And this idea that as we, as we go into the future, we will always throw away the things of the past and, and that why in God's name would a, a building in the year 3058 look anything like a building now? Well, the truth is we, we can't ever, like there's design aesthetics that have, are thousands of years old that we still implement because we have a relationship with those, those ideas and those aesthetics. Like Star Wars, man. I, you know, I saw a documentary on Star Wars when I was down in uh, at Disney recently because I know we're about to talk about oh, Disney. Right, I brought it up, but um, yeah. But they talk about how they were talking about when they were making Star Wars, how uh, somebody was saying it was strange that Lucas wanted to throw stuff in the corner, like uh, kind of trash and stuff and garbage, like. And every other science fiction thing before then, it's like it was a pristine environment that came right out of a computer. But it was like, that's not what life is. And I was in the gas station the other day. No, I was in a, like a CVS or something the other day. And the lady behind the counter just 
good, really pleasant, salt-of-the-earth kind of lady said, um, talking about the thing that I swiped my card on, she said, well, she'll tell you when you can take your card out. And she was talking about like this technology, like artificial intelligence, and I'm like, you don't leapfrog into a pristine future. Here's this lady that grew up out in the country talking about a, a device that's taking my card, chip card, and talking to me. You know what I mean? It's like you always get that mix of old and new, and, and that's just the way it rolls. Um, maybe you guys are young. Have you ever heard the expression back in the 50s, better living through chemistry? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's, listen, post-World War, that captured America's imagination with Formica. And little, all kind for of silent Micah, for silent Micah and his cousin Four Micah, <laughs> okay. not to be confused with Five Micah. <laughs> right, yeah. But nonetheless, we have uh, the issue is is that back then everything was new chemistry blends and antiseptic environments, right. and so I think uh, the world we live with is getting more and more virtual as we live our lives, and so what people love about this space we're in here is the intrinsic touch yeah. of the space, yeah. yet how we function within the space and to deliver ourselves and our lives are what matters. So I think that's where we're coming from. With why, why most people love the exposed brick and why yeah. we love the wood trusses and why we love history yeah. at the same time. But that's not to say that every building has to be that way. No, it doesn't. And things have changed. I mean, I remember it wasn't that long ago. I was in a nice restaurant in Charleston and I was with, it was a crowd of people and this lady said, and she was uh, significant older, she was an older baby member, so she was older than me, you know, obviously, but she said, in this nice of a restaurant, you would think they could fix these walls. <laughs> and I'm like, and this was, Love you know, eight right. years ago Love before it. people were, at least around here, all about uh, wanting to expose these walls, you know. Generational thing. Yeah, sure. it really Absolutely. is. It's sure. like, dude, plaster these things or something, you know? Well, it was antiseptic. That's just the way that yeah. generation was presented. Yeah. All nice, neat, clean. Yeah. I mean, that's like the idea that bottle feeding could be better than natural. You know, it's like, where does that yeah. come from, man? Right, we'll get back to bricks and mortar. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of my my zone on that one. Pauline, yeah. you got a comment? No. That's <laughs> yeah, right. That's wrong. So I did bring up Disney, and I changed the subject fast because Tim and Chris. Tim is as much or more of a of a Disneyite than Chris is. So, Tim, what's your what what is with you and and, and Disney? What's your connection? Well, the connection is is that um, when you look at Disney, and and I'm, when I say Disney, I'm talking about Disney World for the moment. When you step into that environment, you are transformed, and there's it's a purposeful transformation by design. And so I love to do economic improvement with adventure, to me, uh, and, and to what Chris was talking about earlier, about uh, a vision of different change as we go around. The Disney experience is uh, a purposeful environmental change through their blending of landscaping, transportation, economic, uh, is a tremendous purposeful thought process. When I go to, I've been to Disney now, I'm counting 29 times wow. down there, and when my wife and kids go with me, they hate it because I have a library, literally 10,000 or more images uh, of how landscaping work, how transportation work, how they operate, yeah. you know, back a house, what does that mean? Um, and I think, I'm not trying to bring that Disney world to every project, but I think there are clues that we all can learn from. Um, I, you know, I happen to believe that what we're developing here is true Epcot, which is what Walt was trying to create in a, a, a demonstration of an ever-changing environment 
and through living, working, and playing together. Uh, the only thing missing, and I will have to say this about Rock Hill, um, I think the scale of Rock Hill is exceptional. The architecture here on Main Street is as idyllic as any university community could ever paint. The trouble I see in Rock Hill, if I could comment, is that no great community is without its understanding of its transportation network. When you look at Rock Hill and where it sits off of 77 in by a couple miles, you have to make a purposeful destination to arrive at this location. And I hope my project is part of the collection that makes people do it through eventing. I see a great day in the future where we unite campus commerce and community and celebrate great festivals here. And what I'm saying is Winthrop spent an immense amount of capital beautifying that campus and has an incredible courtyard. Oh, it's beautiful. And so the city of Rock Hill does amenities, in my opinion, second to none. And it's Fountain Park is one of the greatest examples I've seen in small town America and what is achievable. And if we take the community, which I'm hoping to develop with Gary Skip and others, um, I think if we said today that what if we had a bluegrass festival where stage one was on Winthrop's campus, stage two was in the project we're developing, and stage three was in the Fountain Park. And what does that mean for a city? So the transportation issue says if we receive 20,000 people, how are they getting around? Um, and you do it early on in the plan because there are a lot of spaces in between that are undeveloped now and now's our chance. And it's easy to brush it aside because there aren't, the population down here is not as dense, but there will be a day. And if we miss the opportunity of transportation so and how we connect these nodes of many nodes within down, small town America, I think we're, we're struggling a little bit down the road because so the car in the future is questionable. How do you connect them? Well, there's a couple of ways to do it. Uh, one, we were talking about the streetcar could be interesting. Um, any other mass transportation possibilities are there. The object is is that I just don't know how efficient it'll be to to go from a quarter mile, get in your car and go to the market instead of walking, or yeah. taking the streetcar, or getting on some other. Just a little product. too long to walk. It's like just past the walkable experience. It um, is, but that's my point. Yeah, is so that, you got to have that connector. Yeah. So I also need to come off of 77 to call the way in here. What if we had the when we we're talking about streetcar? What if we had all the hotels that are out on 77 in Dave Lyle and 77 in Cherry. You know, we're gonna have a great events down here. How do they get here? We're gonna have all cars. What we why don't cars? we why yeah. don't we have some buses that come in from out of those nodes and bring them downtown into some epicenter of transportation that branches out throughout downtown. Why don't we just run the blue line in Charlotte down to uh, this exit and then run a local downtown and then get on a streetcar? That'd be easy. Um, that has been talked about many times. <laughs> I believe know. Me, believe right? me, I know. There's and something then, called the State Line, yeah. and there's something called the Catawba River we got to contend with. But nonetheless, that is the type of thing. And, and you know, and I know it's idealistic, but you asked about Disney World, um, and the, the point being is that five million people are in that or that space, and it doesn't feel like five million people. Right. And it, it is tremendous yes. how they deal with it. It is amazing. I will say, as someone who lived there for a year and went there all the time, once in a while, it feels like there are more than five million people there. <laughs> Sometimes it happens, but but it is designed. It is. 
Right, right, yeah. No, it's mind-blowing how they manage that traffic, but yeah, sometimes it is like sardines. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. The environment has a lot to say about the quality of life, you know, how you present art, how you present and reduce crime, and how we don't allow space, you have what's called defensible space, and nobody does it better than Disney, I right. assume. and how space can affect, like you said, as far as crime, space can affect the way you feel and your actions, and I'm not saying that building a beautiful... Uh, group of buildings is going to keep people from committing crime, but the thing is, is, is it, it does go a long way to affect the way people feel. Like you go to a, a, a place that looks like, you know, a post-apocalyptic, you know, uh, dystopian city, and that's going to be, that is going to make sense to me. There would be more crime there because of the environment, you know. There's a, there's a like a phenomenon or almost a human quality. Like if if there are dishes in the sink. You will just put your dish in the sink and not clean it. Correct. Yeah, and so spaces that are beautiful and maintained and active, you go there and you are polite and you clean up and you, do, you know what I mean? It's like. But but the point being is there's an intersection of operations and economics, yeah, yeah. and that is the answer how you do it. I just get for me um, concerned for Rock Hill because I'm going long in Rock Hill. The issue is, quite frankly, we know we're a suburban of Charlotte. We have the joy of being in the state of South Carolina for all its economic success. Um, and so I think what Rock Hill as a brand offers a different stage than downtown Charlotte. A different pace, a yeah. different scale, a different set design. But if you want to go up to Charlotte and get a Broadway show, see an NFL game, an NBA game, it's yeah. all there for you. Yeah. 20 minutes, you're there. Yeah. So it's exceptional. So the question is, is what is that you can never stop projections, as I say. As much as you want to, you try through zoning, but sometimes you have to watch out for the victim of, of our own success. Um, and if we don't put controls on that success of overbuilding in a product type, uh, then there are unintended consequences in development, I assure you. So that's, that's kind of what I'm, I'm thinking about. Well, I'd say specifically, you said like the idea of like a big quality bluegrass festival that makes complete sense here because because you know there's great big <coughs> bluegrass festivals in Asheville where, wherever Merle Fest is I'm not sure where Merle Fest is um, yeah outside Asheville um, but they're like there's nothing like that in Charlotte and there absolutely should be you know because I think and not to not to 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 diss what they do over there at uh, City Hall or whatever but I don't know that uh, I can't remember the bands they have like Molly Hatchet or whatever Rick Springfield or whatever, and that's cool, that's wonderful and everything. But if, I mean, I think that like the Avett Brothers would totally play here if we had a big bluegrass festival, and that would be a much bigger success for the city. So I, so I contacted the Avett Brothers to see if I could get him here to play at the um, amphitheater. And I thought, you know, obviously we can't sell enough tickets to afford them, but maybe the city would subsidize or something. They were gonna, they, they charged a hundred, this is at the time, they charged a hundred thousand dollars for one night. So they, big ticket item. Um, I also contacted uh, the White Stripes, and I contacted uh, Ben Harper, and I was going to see if I couldn't put together some what I thought were cooler bands to come play the festivals. Yeah. I mean, the, the amphitheater, every so one of them, man, hundred plus. That I'm working in Greenville, North Carolina, and redefining their downtown, 
and have a direct contact to the Avett Brothers because we're bringing a concert there with them cool. on their Riverfront Park to kind of reannounce their downtown. Wow. I think you could uh, potentially get buy-in from the Avett Brothers to some extent. I don't know how that would work, but I bet you could get buy-in from them. It might be able, Maybe they would play for not that, but I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying. You know, not to get off topic, but I think if you join a promoter and get together with Charlotte and Rock Hill, and the reason Rock Hill works is because to have campsites just on the fringe and park all these cars, you can do it. You yeah, can't yeah. do it in Charlotte. So. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. So that's another day, another topic. Yeah, but, you know, you can't, and which brings me back to kind of downtown and where I'm trying to put this mixed-use project in. You can't just build the buildings, sidewalks, and parks. You must event it. Yeah. And that is a very Disney thing, yeah. right? And yeah. so, you know, th that, that whole notion of eventing between those spaces we talked about is everything. It makes or breaks every project, I assure you. The purposeful eventing. Uh, and so when Rock Hill, I'm sure, has its economic folks and who would sit back and talk about eventing collectively within the city. So that needs to be kind of beefed up a little bit. So I got a question. Um, not within the 23 acres that you are, um, you know, designing and building, but around it, somewhere around here, where's the uh, kind of Class C? The reason I ask is because, and, and for our listeners, what I mean by that is like Class C office space, like cheap, old, crappy office space. Like The reason I ask is because, you know, Greenville and Asheville are like two polar opposite models on how they got redeveloped, right? So Greenville, a bunch of rich people decided, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, you know, decided they were going to make Greenville awesome. They spent a huge amount of money. They forced it to be awesome. People came and it worked. Greenville's cool. Yeah. Asheville. South Carolina? Yeah. Greenville? Yeah, Greenville, South Carolina. Asheville, North Carolina, did the opposite. The Bohemians revitalized Asheville. You had cheap office, I mean, cheap retail space where the prostitutes hung out under the bridge. Anybody could... And you like that... <laughs> no. Anybody. Yeah. Anybody could give it a go. Their life's dream of opening a, a store fail in eight months and be out total like six thousand dollars. <laughs> and and that energy, that bohemian energy, as success came, uh, rents went up, more people came, bigger name brands came, they took it over. It became stable. They ran all the artists and the bohemians down by the river, and then the bohemians revitalized the river. Now the river is the coolest place that you can be in Asheville. So I fear. And then specifically, I was just there last weekend in Marshall, which is the tiny little nothing little town that's like near Asheville, and it's happening there. And it's specifically because, like you said, the bohemians are getting pushed out of Asheville, and it's cheap in Marshall, and it's happening there. So my question, Tim, is. We've got to preserve, you can't build class C space because it's expensive to build something, you can't build something crappy. So where are the places? Are we gonna keep these shotgun mill houses and let people open stores and tattoo shops in there? Where, where does that open? So it's a very complicated question you ask. Um, it has to do with, we've heard this term a thousand times called brand. So Greenville decided to capitalize on its geographic feature called a river. And that cuts through town and they went on the outdoor experience and they literally made that river get more adventurous. They put boulders in it and made white water. They put a bridge across it and they struck Beautiful lightning bridge. struck lightning when BMW came to town. Yeah. So that set the trajectory for Greenville. 
because suddenly now that is like the new Detroit to me. Michelin is there, Continental Tires there, BMWs there, you know, Volvos come to South Carolina. Their tire plants are popping up all over, but you know, of course, that that works as long as the automobile is king, and at the moment it is, uh, and that's you know, for better or worse. But you have to figure out a balance. Um, you can't contrive everything. And happenstance of what you're talking about, Bohemian Pockets, one of the cool towns. If you ever, here's a city that I'm working in also that bet the bank on Bohemian, and it's called Austin, Texas. And they've had a slogan called Keep Austin Weird. And they do some cool stuff. I mean, who else but Austin could make an economic play of graffiti? Yeah, right. They've got this graffiti park where I see, you know, usually you think of graffiti and you think of it in the darkest, deepest, urban, unsafe environments. But Austin said, you know what? That's an artistic expression we're going to go with. And so we're going to preserve this one hillside that there were some ruins and everybody's welcome it's called a byop bring your own paint and fathers and children and mothers and daughters come in and they come in by the droves and a just to see it and b to just have fun and go out there and paint and so you know um so the question is how does rock hill not over contrive itself yes that's the question how do we allow creative expression to be a part of the brand i think is what you're asking And so the answer is, you know, you never contrive happenstance. Somebody steps up as a leader to that. I mean, you know, Austin didn't say, you know what, we're going to take these ruins and let's let's make this a feature. Somebody went with it, and then Austin was okay enough with it. So it has to do with legislature that okays happenstance. So it's a very myriad complex. But I assure you, happenstance happens. You can't contrive it. So your question is very valid as to... But let's don't tear you know, it all... Let's, we can't tear all the sea space down or we eliminate the opportunity for happenstance. Um, why don't we get the Mellow Mushroom to kind of sponsor happenstance? <laughs> so that would work. Yeah. Um, but the point being is that those pockets happen and, and who are the leaders of tomorrow who make cool happen is your question. I think it comes down to the other stuff we were saying as opposed to an environment. So we were saying like you have an environment that's uh, the, the dirty dishes are in the sink so people put more dirty dishes in the sink versus an environment that's overly sort of if you have like this bureaucratic kind of like this, these are where these buildings are and we have law firms here and this is where serious things happen and that encourages the young uh, ruffians to come smash windows and, and write on the wall and graffiti. Well, what if instead, and it's like you're saying, what if instead it's saying like, here's this space occupied by human beings, just like you, ruffian, young, rebellious person, a human being just like you with blood pumping through their veins, and they're doing what they think they can do to contribute to society. What can you do? And like, that's the key element. Instead of like, we're doing our thing, stay away, you smell bad. It's like, we're, we're, we are people here in offices doing what we think is the thing we should be doing in the world. What do you think you should be doing in the world? And encouraging people to contribute, encourage, to be artists or whatever. Double E, which is expression and economics. So most people think of economics where you have to have the class A, class B, $20 square foot rent, which doesn't allow for innovative young businesses to try their luck and express themselves at the same time. So if I would add to the typical 2E and throw the third of expression in there, an artistic talent, um, but we don't want to remove young businesses 
from thriving. Right. And so the ever popular classic answer to that is an incubator. There isn't a city in America that doesn't think incubator is the hottest thing in the world. Prior to that, it was all biotech. We're going to do all biotech spaces because that was hot. So I love incubators. They have a great purpose, no question. Uh, the, the question you're asking me is, do you define pockets? And do you preserve it, is your question. Yeah. Because what happens is, as a city matures, as you talk about small town America, eventually small town America becomes middle town America. Yeah. And then middle town America becomes Charlotte before you yeah, know it. Right, right, right. There is a natural progression and you cannot stop it. Yeah. So the question is, can I forcefully preserve it? Maybe, Austin does. Yeah. You know, so I would suggest for you, if you ever want to see how they do it, take a trip. Ask I've been them. there twice, I love the place. Uh, well, good. Um, I'm doing a good project in another university there for downtown, and it's just, it's just, it's a great place. You know, every every town has its brand. Yeah. It has to do, and the brand isn't just to make it up. It has to merge two things. Well, see that. Let me. I gotta interject here. Okay. So, so one thing that has always bothered me, and I'm in marketing, obviously, and the one thing that's always bothered me about the concept of quote branding is when when a small group of of people who are put in a position, an arbitrary type of power position to decide what the brand is of a large entity that is a communal endeavor, like a city or a town. And people like sit around a boardroom table and get very caught up in groupthink and design something and they say, that's our brand because we bought it and we like it. It's so artificial, as opposed to an identity that exists. Like right now, if you say to me, Charleston, South Carolina, I can feel it, I can smell it, I know what it is, I, I know what it looks like, I know what it feels like. You know, so how do you, and I don't know what but their tagline is, I have no idea. Charleston's asking the same question you are. Really? Sure, they, they're bet the bank on history. Yeah. Right? They, I mean, the problem with Charleston, again, I'm gonna tell you transportation. You ever tried to come into Charleston from seven to nine a.m.? Yeah, on King Street. You ever try to get out of Charleston on 4 to 6 p.m. on Friday afternoon? You can't. So they've done an awesome job of preserving history. They're famous for history. So they're trying, like you, to get innovative as well because they know that, look, history is expensive, to be honest with you. In in downtown Charleston, where the stoplights are mounted on the sides of roads or whatever, is there a name for that? Is there a term for that? Yeah, I was gonna say because I'd like to coin the term uh, "death recipe." <laughs> that's, that's what I'd like to call them. <laughs> Too many times, man. Yeah. Well, but but every city struggles with trying to figure out tomorrow, and and your question is sometimes let's just let tomorrow happen. Is yeah. what you're saying. An identity so, is and, like I don't, do I don't I don't I don't stand here and go, okay, guys, let's decide what I, what Jason Broadwater is. You know, that's the weirdest thing to have to do. Um, well, listen, I'm going to say this. Rock Hill has the best of, and the worst of both worlds. The best of the world is this is a mill community primarily, okay, from its, its economic heritage. Yeah. And so do we ignore it? No. We, right. we celebrate it. Yeah. That's what my project is about, and that's what Rock Hill wants to celebrate. And the, I think uh, the millennial I'll tell generation. You a great example of ignoring it. And it was interesting that I think Rock Hill got caught up in the times back in the, I think it must have been the 70s, when we look at our door, boy, this this street was closed off for a mall. What? 
And it was loves like, Town Center Mall. Don't get him started. He loves well, it. Town Center Mall was like the great toad ride at Disney. You know, it's no longer there, but it was interesting to chat about. I was a child, and it was very weird, and I'm weird, so I thought it was cool. When I was a child, I thought it was strange, and I loved it. But it is, it is yes, of course it's a mistake. There's no question about that. It certainly wasn't a mistake to somebody who put up means to do it. Well, hey, listen so, to this. You know when the romantic, um, when romanticism hit Europe, and the um, well-educated, well-to-do artists and poets started celebrating farming and uh, kind of being out on the prairie and all the poems and all the uh, art started becoming about nature and salt of the earth kind of stuff, right? Um, and it was coming from educated people that had plenty of time to sit around and like, you know, had money and everything. Well, the generation before that was very uppity around getting away from um, that stuff because you know that's hard work and that's poor people and like we're going into future direction all that. well i think there's a shift in the united states where the baby boom generation was very upwardly mobile disconnecting from their blue collar roots becoming very white collar very plastic and all that stuff and i think the next generation x into millennials and all are embracing and, and i think it's it's visible and tangible in exposed um damaged brick but we're embracing salt of the earth uh, blue collar, getting your hands dirty, farming, get, making your own food, you know, like all that kind of stuff versus um, I, I'm, so I'm wealthy. I'll, I'll only say this is that you can't design one size fits all. Right. And that's what you're really saying yeah. is that how do we celebrate the diversity of generations, economies, and not conform to contrived environment. Right. So I will only offer this before I go. I'll say Rock Hill, while it celebrates its historic architecture very well, it has a pace of life and a scale that is a lifestyle desired by many as an alternate to the busy urban Charlotte as it grows rapidly. And I assure you that, you know, uh, does this community fit everybody in Charlotte as an escape? No. Uh, does it fit everybody who wants to bring their child here and raise them in, 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 in this type of slice of America? No. The issue is, is that I think that Rock Hill has a basis of historic architecture to start with. If we continue to say we want to celebrate the historic architecture and just keep it that way, it's a sad mistake. Um, expression is. There's nothing wrong with putting a modern building in the middle of, of this town either. Right. There's nothing wrong, though, with, at my point, when you go to Paris on the Seine River, there are artists everywhere, and I say, if you do anything, Jason, if you want to achieve what you're saying, let Winthrop go. And what I mean by that is to say that if it's truly the gifted visual and performing arts school that it is, if this community doesn't celebrate that, then you are missing and sadly ignoring a great, great asset that is not unleashed. So why don't I see artists on the street on Main Street here. It's Why don't I see? Well, it is. It's a slow progression, but to get there faster, Chris, is let's let's make that happen. Yeah. I and like let it. expression go. So what you want is a nice, neat package with trim shrubs, and and all of that. And so unless you allow expression to happen, you're not going to meet the needs of all all people in my opinion. Amen, amen, brother. Let, let me say this. It's been a pleasure, Tim, having you. I know you, um, you're in town for hours at a time, and you'll be back, I'm sure, 
Monday. Monday, yeah, <laughs> right. And we're all very excited about the project that you're, um, you know, driving it's here. It's just a piece of Rock Hill. It's just, just a piece. It's a, piece, it's a, it's a, piece. a symbolic piece is what it is. And we're very excited about it. And it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Pauline, it's a pleasure to have you in town. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for being here. Great, great um, pleasure. Chris, always a pleasure. You look handsome today. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. We, we t- yeah, we t- well, I'll have a few more. I won't look so handsome. Um, we we talked about Walt Disney about five percent as much as I hoped we would on this episode. So. We'll have another one with Tim when he's in town. We'll have another uh, podcast with Tim. We can talk about nothing but Disney, and uh, and the fact that Epcot really was a prototype of the world and not a commercialized idea. Um, I would like to end with some wise words from Silent Micah. Silent Micah, take us out here. Well said. Well said. All right. And I guess I'll see you next week on Old Town New World. Done deal.